The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Episode 185 of the Rise and Shine podcast. And this one is an absolute gem. My guy, former Arizona Cardinals general manager, former NFL executive of the year, the great Steve Kime is the featured guest this week on the Rise and Shine podcast. We go around the NFL, great breakdown, who he likes, who he trusts, everything involved in his incredible career, building all those great teams with the Arizona Cardinals, some incredible moves, some decisions he regrets. It's an incredible look at the NFL down the stretch of the season and what goes through the mind of a general manager when putting a team together. Steve Kime is the featured guest this week on the Rise and Shine podcast. And, you know, I love watching my kids play sports. We talk about it all the time. And there's nothing quite like, for me, uniform day. When the kids get their uniform and, you know, Maya's doing this, the school basketball and the travel basketball and Theo's doing a CYO basketball and, you know, Jolie's doing field hockey and there's a thousand different things going on. Bob, you were a big athlete growing up, big hockey player. Did you have a favorite uniform number that you would always wear on superstition or for whatever reason? Did you have a favorite lucky special uniform number? Yeah, for baseball, I wore 11 matchsticks. And uh, for hockey, I was wearing 35. But yeah, so I had one for each sport. Sure. So it depended on the sport. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean... 35 in baseball is a little weird. It's kind of a weird number, right? Like, you kind of want a lower number when you play baseball. And for hockey, you know, I played goalie, so in the 30s makes sense. It's kind of what it is. That's a great goalie number, by the way, 35. That's an incredible. That's a good one. That's a good one. So Maya wears 31 because she was born on August 31st, huh? which is great. And she got her basketball jersey. She's wearing number 31. That's great. She wears that for softball as well. It's become her number. Theo, who was born on May 4th, will wear five or wear four. Also, big Josh Allen fan, so I asked for 17. He, in baseball, early on, got 15 from a home, so he'll like to carry that over. So, you know, th- those are his favorites. For me, playing baseball, I had three numbers. I was born on June 17th, so 17 is one of my favorite numbers. Number two, which is not Jeter. Yeah. I grew up before Jeter. Yeah. Uh, two uh, was one of the numbers that fit me when I was a, a big kid playing Little League and I could hit. And then Mackie Sasser, we've talked about this on the podcast before. <laughs> yeah. He came to my camp and he wore number two for the Mets. Catcher mm. couldn't throw. We'll get him on the podcast at some point. I want to catch up with Mackie Sasser, tell, tell him how he changed my life. So number two was my favorite number. And then the other one, 34. 
34 because of Kirby Puckett. I was obsessed with Kirby Puckett, and I love that number for baseball. So 217 and 34. Now, I'm giving you all that to give you this. Not going to name the kid. Not going to name the leak. We're going to keep it out of out of context, okay? Okay. So I love the fact that kids can choose their numbers, right? And it's great oftentimes. And when they do that, there's thought process, you know, give them the top three and, you know, do you get your favorite? So oftentimes in New York, it doesn't matter the sport, you'll see someone with number 99, right? Of course. Judge, right? That's a super popular number, number 99. So I'm watching one of the kids play sports, and I'm just watching the game, and game's going on, and I'm sitting with uh, Katie, and I'm sitting with, with friends of mine, and all of a sudden, I go, guys, do you do you see this? Do you see the uniform over here? I said, yeah. Number 69. Really? Number 69. For a kid? For a kid. How old? So, great question. <laughs> Eight. <laughs> now. What is this, Father Gronk? So, I, mean, I understand, here? you know, my kid, the girls will hear that number in a song and they'll laugh yeah. and, you know, they have a context. The yuck yucks. Right, the old yuck yucks, you know. Mm-hmm. Number 69 <laughs> for an eight-year-old. Now, <laughs> clearly... He or she did not pick that number by himself or herself. Hmm. Clearly, that was not the case. No. That was not an option. What parent? <laughs> I mean, do you do that for the jokes? That's a sick joke. Yeah. You do it for the group chat? Who in the group chat is going to be like, yo, that's a great job giving your kid number 69 <laughs> yeah. in an eight-year-old sports league? I mean, Bob, what kind of sicko Picks number 69 for his kid's uniform number. That's pretty sick, Adam. I mean, I can only think of a couple people, but that's, that's pretty... That, I don't understand how the league would even allow that, though. Why would they issue that number? Wouldn't they just come back and say, no, wait, we're not doing You make that. a great point. So you think it's on the league's yeah, responsibility to say... Of course. You, you know, little Bobby or little Susie <sighs> can't wear number 69. Of course. You know, I don't even think Mike Babchick would do that. Yeah. I, I think he would. <laughs> Joey Babchick wearing number 69 in a rec basketball league? Absolutely. Joey Babchick wearing number 69 in, yeah. in a flag football league? Of course. All right, now that I say it out loud, it's, it makes sense. Funny, because that was one of the two people I was thinking. <laughs> I was thinking Mike Babchick would definitely be one of those parents that would do that. We'll save the other one for all fair? Yeah, of course. Steve Kime, future guest on the Rise and Shine podcast. enjoys us next. Bring spring color inside this season with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. Or a splash of Amazon Jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with durable colors that last all season with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. 
at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. NFL fans, right now on the SXM app, hear in-depth coverage of your team with the Believe Podcast Network on Sirius XM. It's all the analysis, all the breakdowns that matter to you. Hosted by the players who played for your team and the fans who eat, sleep, and breathe it. 32 diehard fan bases, 32 podcasts. The Believe Podcast Network on Sirius XM. B-L-E-A-V. Search Believe in, followed by your team on the SXM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The feature guest this week on the Rise and Shine podcast, one of my favorite people I have ever encountered in my 19 years at Sirius XM, former NFL Executive of the Year. He did an outstanding job as a general manager for the Arizona Cardinals, my guy. And he's joining us in studio, the great Steve Kime. It's great to see you. Great to see you, my friend. You Pleasure look great. Yeah, fantastic, man. It's fun to be here in the city this time of year and... Uh, Obviously, great to reconnect with you. It's great to reconnect with you. And I want to get into everything during your outstanding run in Arizona. And it really was outstanding. But first and foremost, I feel compelled to chop it up and talk some ball and talk about what's going on in the NFL this year, Steve, and kind of get your take on everything as, you know, you've been paying attention and obviously you've been building teams to compete against everyone else in the National Football League for for over a decade and doing it brilliantly, I might add. San Francisco, I've been making the case all season long. They were the best team in the NFL. And listen, if people didn't believe that, you saw what happened in Philadelphia over the weekend. What's your take on the San Francisco 49ers, on Brock Purdy, Christian McCaffrey, the win in Philadelphia, and how far this team could go? Yeah, I mean, they, they are absolutely loaded. And, um, you know, I, to me, the, the, the ceiling is obviously winning the Super Bowl. I mean, I think that that is the expectation there, and it's the expectation around the National Football League. Um, you know, making that trade for Christian McCaffrey, obviously a, a phenomenal trade by John Lynch. Uh, to be able to uh, draft some of the guys that they drafted high, you know, Debo Samuel in the second round, to draft um, – uh, Bosa, the number two pick overall after we took Kyler Murray with the first pick. I mean, they just continue to stack player after player. The roster's as good as there is in the NFL. When they're healthy, they are hard to beat. Uh, Brock Purdy, kid from Queen Creek, Arizona, right there in our own backyard. Mm-hmm. Hard to, to, to sadly to say, obviously be Mr. Irrelevant that we all missed. You know, everybody in the NFL missed on him. Um, you know, I, I keep seeing the debates whether he's elite or not. He's elite in that system. Yeah. And you got to give the guy his flowers. I mean, the guy has done a phenomenal job. The one thing that he does, maybe he does not have elite physical talent, but he has got uh, elite anticipation throwing the football. He's accurate. 
he throws a good football. He throws a very catchable ball. He he understands and the complexity of the system. So many of these guys come out now, Adam, and they got big arms. They got great feet. They got all the talent in the world, but they don't understand how to anticipate throws. They don't understand how to read coverages. Brock Purdy can do those two things, which are the most necessary things for the position. I think he's great. And right, that's a great way to phrase it. And you could talk about hypotheticals and if he was here, if he was there. He's playing elite, dominant football at the quarterback position for Kyle Shanahan and the San Francisco 49ers. And right now, as we speak, he's the league leader, according to Vegas, for the MVP odds. Yeah. I have him number two on my list right now. Dak Prescott is my current number one, but I think that Purdy's fantastic. And you saw it last year, just how special and how great he is. When you look at Philadelphia, I know the respect level you have for Howie Roseman. Yes. I have for Howie Roseman. What have you seen this year from Philadelphia? Because they're loaded with talents. They've had a knack for winning. You know, outplayed against Buffalo vast majority, outplayed against Kansas City vast majority of the game, found a way to win those games, couldn't do it, obviously, against San Francisco. You know this team is experienced. They'll find a way, in theory, to bounce back, even though I happen to like Dallas on, on Sunday night. What's your big-picture assessment on Philadelphia? Well, I think you said it best. Uh, the, the ability to win in a variety of ways, you know, whether it's running the football or Jalen Hurts taking over with his legs, um, how he has done a tremendous job, Nick Sirianni, have a lot of respect for those guys. Uh, you know, I think that Dallas uh, is, is obviously playing their best football right now, which is tough because, I mean, at the end of the day, it really comes down to who's playing the best football in December. Yeah. And, uh, and Dallas is certainly that team, probably, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, they've done a great job there with, with a number of things. Um, they've stayed healthy for the most part. Howie's hit on his draft picks. They continue to add players to the roster now with this linebacker that he just added um, from Indianapolis. But they're, they're always going to be in contention. And, again, what, what the team has done uh, from a roster standpoint, the roster building, is something I respect a lot. Without question. Howie's just a, a mastermind when it comes to that. And you referenced Dallas. I mean, I, I have Dak right now as, as my MVP. Mike McCarthy, to me, deserves a lot of credit. CeeDee Lamb is, is a stud. Dan Quinn's defense flying around. Right now, Steve, and I'm not going to hold you to it because it's fluid, if you had to rank those three teams most likely to come out of the NFC between San Francisco, Dallas, and Philadelphia, how would you rank them and why? I would go San Francisco, Dallas, and then Philadelphia. I agree. Just because uh, the hot hand, you know. You could have argued earlier in the season that Philadelphia was playing their best football, but I, I think that at this point in time, with San Francisco being healthy, uh, they are a beast. They are very, very tough uh, to defend. Uh, they're tough to, to, to have an offense again. I mean, their defense flies around. They've added Chase Young. Uh, they, they are extremely talented at every level of their, their, their team. Um, all three levels of the defense. Uh, offensively, Brock is playing very, very good. And again, uh, Kyle Shanahan, in my opinion, is the best play caller in the NFL. Mm. Um Dallas, you know, I, th I think, again, they're playing their best football. Uh, Danny Quinn's done a great job. Uh, I think Mike McCarthy's done one of his better jobs coaching this year. Uh, and, again, they're healthy. And Dak's playing his best football. You know, Dak's sort of shutting up all the naysayers yeah. out there, which is good. It's been fun to see. I agree. You know, Dak was a guy when he came out of college, you know, and I watched him at Mississippi State. We spent a lot of time with him. You know, Bruce Arians and I uh, did a visit with him and, and had dinner and – Great young man. You you loved his attention to detail. You loved his passion for the game. 
the, the biggest thing with Dak is I wondered if when it came nut cutting time, could he make some of the NFL throws from an accuracy and ball placement standpoint? Same with Jalen Hurts. Okay. Two guys that got have tremendous character and maybe one of the two of the better leaders in the National Football League. Absolutely. But I didn't know when you watched the college tape if the ball placement and the accuracy was as elite. You know, good enough that at times you got to put a ball in a tight window that is just different from from anything else in, in that you've ever played in football because that game at that level, the speed and all those sort of things, the coverage is is, is so tight. But both of those guys have continued to improve, which has impressed me. Can you teach that in terms of ball plays? Is that coaching? Is that a head coach, offensive coordinator, quarterback coach? How because those guys have outkicked to their credit and credit the organizations too. Yeah where they were drafted. Right. So as an organization, how do you maximize that? Yeah, second-round pick and a fourth-round pick, respectively, Adam. I mean, they're two guys that, you know, you would say, based on draft spots, that they've uh, sort of um, overachieved. But at the same time, you know, passion, the will and the want to, is an awfully powerful thing. Yeah. You know, and it's it's something that... A lot of these guys don't have. I can tell you so many players that I've seen that have big arms, great feet, tremendous talent, and they don't have the will and the want to. So when you have a guy like these two, it's fun to see them succeed because of the admiration I have for their their appreciation for the game. And they're both high-character guys. Tremendously high-character. I mean, as good as it gets. And that's the one thing about Dak when we spent time with him. Bruce and I just kept saying, this guy – you just wanted to see a little more accuracy on tape, but you loved the passion and the love for the game and the leadership qualities he had. So now to see him doing that again, I think you can improve accuracy with footwork and different things um, to to an extent. At the same time, schematics work into it. These coaches are doing a tremendous job of putting these guys in a position to succeed, which is a huge difference. You know, Different from asking a player to do some things that – some of the great ball throwers at one time could only do. I think that they're doing a better job of understanding what their strengths and weaknesses are. You know, when you were talking about John Lynch before and they were in-season trades, Christian McCaffrey, Chase Young, there's an art to it. I think there's an art to making the big-name trade in general in the offseason. There's an art to the in-season <sighs> trade. You were excellent doing both. And I think you got to factor in a lot of things, off-season, in-season, chemistry, player smarts, the head coach, position coach. Take us through, Steve, because you were excellent at this, and Lynch has nailed it in consecutive years, the art to making a trade for an established star veteran. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, um, you know, did it with a number of guys, whether it was uh, DeAndre Hopkins and Chandler Jones, one of your Syracuse guys, who when I traded for him from, you know, again, I called Bill Belichick on the phone and I asked him if he'd be interested in trading Chandler Jones. And when he he thought about it and he finally said, you know, yeah, I'd think about it. You know, I I thought, what what is again, I'm trading with the godfather. Well, what does he know that I don't know? That almost makes you nervous, No, it right? made me nervous. Yeah. I'm sitting there thinking, holy shit, what, 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 what do I not know Bill here? Bill just said okay. Because Bill, Bill's way smarter than I've ever been with the, the game of football. And that, so, and now, that was Jonathan Cooper. Did you send him the trade as yeah. a second-round pick? Yeah, yeah, yep. And, uh, so, and then ever since that day, from the day that Chandler was traded to our team till the day that he finished with the Cardinals, he was leading sack uh, – um, player in the NFL during that period of time. I think, you know, over 100 sacks. And um, 
tremendous player, obviously, and, and huge fan of Chandler Jones. Uh, again, a big Cuse guy. So, but you know, it's it's it, number one. You have to make sure your coaches are bought in and dialed in. You know, the coaches have. You never have. You never can force in personnel a player down a coach's throat. I don't care whether it's the draft or it's free agency or a trade. They have to be bought in, and they have to understand that this player is going to schematically fit what they do, or it's not going to be a success. And generally, when you have open-minded coaches that do that, it certainly helps the process. What a great anecdote, by the way, with Belichick. That yeah. must have been because you know you have a guy. You know he's going to be great for you. You check those boxes in terms of the coach is going to love him. When Belichick is saying, okay, and there was some stuff at the time off the field with Chandler, but you have to also figure out the risk-reward, realize, and Chandler Jones, you know, you get you sit down with him, you know he's a really good person, and right. you get him on the right path, he was a star for you. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, you got to do your homework, and, and it, it, it certainly goes above and beyond the tape. Because, again, after you said that I talked to Bill, I had to go back. Say I watched seven games, I had to go back and watch about ten more. Because yeah, sure. Obviously, Why is he trading them? Yeah, obviously I was I was concerned, thinking to myself, man, the Godfather's willing to, 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 to get rid of this guy? You know, what what am I doing calling Bill Belichick? And, again, you know, so so interesting, too, to be a – you know, a 40-year-old general manager at the time and, and calling Bill Belichick, you know, the, the GOAT and doing a trade with him. I mean, it's it's sort of a surreal thing, you know? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I want to change that. You know what I mean? It's like... And was he just the same way as yes. he always is on the phone? Yes, yes. Oh, that's great. And it was great, though. But he was he was so cool and respectful and um, just a, a football guy, you know? So it was good to deal with him. And and certainly that worked out for us. Again, there's a, a number of trades that we made, you know, whether it was Kenyon Drake and a, a bunch of guys that just played really good football for us when we when we traded for him. Um, another guy that we got late in the process was, I think, in 2015 or 2016, Dwight Franey, your Syracuse oh, yeah. guy. And uh, I'll never forget, I gave him a, 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 I think it was a slightly above minimum salary. And... Uh, Gave him a, a million dollars, I believe it was, per sack, okay? So so huge, huge incentive late, late contract, late in contract, right? And he ended up in like seven or eight games getting like 10 or 11 sacks. I remember that, yeah. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> and, and it's the best 10 or 11 million dollars you can spend. Of course. You know what I mean? Of course. And that's what we always did. We always did, you know, we had, we, we used some analytics from a comp standpoint in our contracts, which was interesting. To, to say, a lot of these pass rushers, when they come out, they generally get a million dollars a sack. So you say, how much are you going to pay this guy in free agency if he got loose? How many sacks did he have? He had about 13 sacks. He'd probably be 13, 14 million dollars. And it was funny how that worked out. It always sort of was, at least in the sort of hemisphere of what was really happening. You know, you use the A word, analytics, and you're a bright guy. I also simultaneously have always viewed you as a football guy who's very open-minded, yes. right? Mm -hmm. You know, you play offensive line in college. You know, I always view you as a football guy, but you understand, you right. know, numbers, math, probability, everything that goes into it. How did you as a general manager, Steve, balance all that and balance analytics and everything that goes into the equation in building a team and building a roster? Well, first and foremost, you have to have the confidence, I think, to trust your eye to start. So you have to trust your eye, number one. But at the same time, as time went on and 
I, I learned more about uh, analytics and the whole process and how it all sort of tied in together. Um, I, I paid more attention to whether it was trends, comps for contracts, a lot of those things, things that never had happened before. Um, I think there are at least things that sort of made you realize, okay, here's an outlier. Am I really doing the right thing right now? And, and, and really make you at least question and sort of check the boxes that, hey, I'm doing the right thing, and here's why. You know, or here's why I feel so strongly to do something that's so abnormal. And, um, you know, it may take watching a lot more tape and just saying, I'm going to take a chance. Because if you don't take risks, you know, the bottom line is, is you're never going to succeed. Mm -hmm. You have to take some big risks. You have to. And you have to swing for the fence. But at the same time, there are times where you got to check yourself because you start getting, you know, it starts to get away from you a little bit. Now, all of a sudden, you're putting yourself in a hole, especially the way contracts are structured. It gets scary because of the guaranteed money for some of the better players that if that player doesn't work out, you're in a real pickle now because that contract is going to sort of tie you to that player for a number of years, or it's going to hamstring you from a contract, from a salary cap standpoint. You always factored everything in when you made a pick or you made a trade or signed the free agent. And you also had one of the great quotes in the history of sports when you said if Hannibal Lecter ran a 4-2, <laughs> they would have diagnosed him with an eating disorder, right. which is one of the great lines in the history of any executive in any sport. So how did you balance all that? When you would turn on the film, you're a football guy, you see a guy dominate, you go to the combine, you see his numbers, you watch him on tape, and he's just tremendous. You interview him, you meet with him. How did you balance all of that, and would you have drafted Hannibal Lecker? Here's the perfect, um, I think, example to explain this. Uh, as time went on again, I learned to be less critical of human beings. People make mistakes. I've made mistakes. We've all made mistakes. Yeah. Um, people deserve second chances. It's getting to know the heart and the mind, how much passion you have for it, how much you love it. If you've made a lot of mistakes and it's a consistent thing and you don't love the game and you do it because of the things that come with the game, it's a real concern and I would probably have to stay away. But the perfect example is a guy like Tyron Matthew who I drafted in the third round. It's a great one. You know, Ty was a guy that um, had his documented issues at, at LSU and was kicked off the team. And when I first started watching him, it was my first draft as the GM in 2013. And um, conventional thinking for me was, no chance I'm going to take this guy. Started to watch the tape. And more and more did I see the ball just kept finding itself to him. Mm. I never saw a player that the ball, he's so electric, the ball just sort of gravitated to him. Fumbles, picks, whatever. He was so instinctive. He wasn't the biggest. He wasn't the fastest. But God, did he love the game the way he played on tape. So I flew him in, me and Todd Bowles and my son at the time, who was, um, he was about eight years old. We took him to dinner at a steakhouse. And about halfway through dinner, my son was tag pulling my shirt and he's like, dad, this guy's cool. And I thought it was so refreshing from a, from an eight year old's eyes wow. to see the raw love in this guy's smile and his appreciation for this guy's just the way he carried himself. And I thought right then, you know what, if there's any deterrent, there's going to be a deterrent that this guy has to go back to new Orleans and live in the streets, or he's going to become a great player because he doesn't want to go back to the streets. And I felt like he loved it enough 
that that was going to be a deterrent to never make those same mistakes. And to this day, from what I understand, I mean, obviously he's he's done a great job and sort of made made a, a great career for himself. What a great anecdote! It's a good life lesson too, in terms of getting to know someone. I I, I love every second of that, and I love what you accomplished in in Arizona. I mean, you were a GM there for for a decade. You were an executive there, a scout, moving up the ranks forever. You you were there forever, making all these picks, and you know your personnel brain was just incredible. Had that great stretch, the five year stretch. You won, you know, 50-plus games, executive of the year, Cardinals in the conversation every year. So the first time you were on my radar, Adrian Peterson. Yes. There is – and Steve smiles, as I say. <laughs> so you wanted the Cardinals to draft Adrian Peterson, and you recommended highly, and you said Adrian Peterson going to be a Hall of Fame running back. Yes. Take us through that story and scenario. You know, at the time I was the vice president of player personnel, and, um, you know, it's one of those things, again, you know, being a team guy, I respected the process. I certainly gave my opinion. And uh, we decided to go in another direction, which, again, once that decision's made, you're all in. You know, it's a, it's a team decision. And we drafted Levi Brown. Levi Brown was a fine player. Mm -hmm. You know, played for a number of years, played on our Super Bowl team in uh, 2008 against the Steelers at left tackle. But, um, you know, it, it again, the the biggest thing about this business, Adam, it, it's it's so humbling. And, and I would like to think that almost every business is this way, especially, you know, businesses that are so competitive like ours, you know, especially in the media world as well. Someone like yourself that's um, so successful and, and so um, respected, to this day, you still can learn so many things. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, that was a thing that I took away from, from being a general manager in the National Football League. One of 32, what an honor. Yeah. At the same time, how humbling. You know, to, 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 to look at the understanding of the big picture and saying every day man i learn lessons and a lot of my lessons were learned from the mistakes i made and i made a lot of them you know you, you, you think about the good things the positives that you just said about me so kind of you but at the same time i made a ton of mistakes and we all make those mistakes on a daily basis the key is how do you grow and learn from them was there a certain lesson certain mistake trade pick hiring firing is there one that stood out that that maybe you regret or you learn the most from? I think <clears throat> I think it's more of a philosophical way of thinking the people. I don't care if it's the people you hire in the building as a coach, as an employee, as a scout, or somebody that you draft or sign as a free agent or trade for. You miss more on the person than you do on the player. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So a lot of people have a, a, a certain amount of talent. If somebody's interviewed for a job, they have enough talent for you to talk to them. If somebody, somebody's in the, in the mix to be drafted, they're talented. If somebody's in the mix to be traded for, they're talented. But you miss on the person. You miss on the passion, the love for what they do. That's what you miss on the most. And that's what I had to learn is, is trying to read people more because – it comes down to that nowadays. It comes down to how good are you at reading people? How good are you at reading the room, understanding the big picture, and putting all those things into into play? That's an excellent way to phrase it, and you were always excellent at that. I'll give you another one, and Adrian Peterson, you know, close but no cigar, and you weren't in the GM chair for that. How about Patrick Mahomes? Because that was always I, – I know how much you thought Patrick Mahomes was going to be a tremendous quarterback – 
did you, were you guys going to draft him? Was he there, ready yeah. to be? I mean, if if Andy doesn't make that trade and take him, who knows? We could have been looking at Patrick Mahomes playing quarterback for Steve Kime, Bruce Aarons, and the Arizona Cardinals. In 25 years, uh, Patrick Mahomes was the highest graded player that I ever scouted. Wow. And um, <clears throat> I will tell you this. I don't regret a lot of things in my career. That would be one. I told the owner... Um, that prior to that draft, we were picking 13. And we took Hassan Reddick, who's a fine player. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. By the way, Hassan Reddick became a great player, unfortunately, for other teams than us. <laughs> <laughs> he, he became a much better player for the Philadelphia Eagles than he was for the Cardinals. We, we uh, unfortunately, didn't have a place to play him. We didn't know where he fit, but he can rush the passer, that's for sure. Yeah. So uh, as, as fine a player as, as Hassan Reddick is, let's be honest, um, I told the owner that – you know, I didn't know where Mahomes would go, but if it got close that, and I felt the instinct to do it, that I would trade up to get him. And, um, you know, you, 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 you put a lot of time and effort into the pre-draft, you know, sort of smoke. And that was one that never saw a team like Kansas City trading from the mid-20s to, I think, number 10 or number 8. Yeah, and they had Alex Smith at the time. To, to get him. And... um that would be one of the regrets of my career that I, I, I completely screwed that up. Um, I don't know why, but I lost the courage to trade up thinking he would fall to 13. And, um, to this day it haunts me. I mean, I really should have looking back on it now again, I, I should have just pulled the trigger, traded up to Buffalo and, and took Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, again, it's it's the, it's a great learning lesson. Wow. It, it goes back to show you, and that taught me a lot, Adam, that bottom line, if you are in love with a player that much, whatever it takes, just, just go get him. Conviction. Go do if it. If you have that much conviction, go get him. Whatever it takes, go get him. Did you have the backing, blessing, Bruce, the owner at the time? Did yeah. You, everyone, you know, said, oh, if you yeah. love this guy, go do yeah, it. Yeah, Bruce was obviously fine with it. It was my call to to go up to get him. And, um, you know, Michael Bidwell was, was, was great. I mean, he, you know, I know he was disappointed that I didn't, you know, pull the trigger on that. Um, but he, he certainly had my back. And, and again, you know, <laughs> a great learning lesson, unfortunately, for Cardinal fans that, um, it's 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 sad to hear that I'm sure, but uh, man oh man, it's 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 a it's a it's a uh, expensive lesson to learn. That's for sure, without question. Now Josh Rosen was the pick the next year, and I remember my take from that draft, and I I had Josh Allen as my number one guy in that draft, but I liked them all. I I thought Lamar was going to be great. I thought Sam Darnold was going to be great. Baker was my fourth quarterback in that draft. I thought he was going to be good. I, I really liked Josh Rosen. I did. I thought Josh could yeah. sling it. I liked his attitude. I liked everything about him. Who did you have in 2018? So it was all up for debate. Who was your number one quarterback in that draft? And I thought Josh was going to be great for you. Where did it go wrong for Josh? Uh, that year, our, our number one quarterback was Josh Allen. And um, uh, I believe it was Josh uh, Baker then Sam Darnold, and then Josh Rosen. And we were picking 15th. We traded up to 10 with the Raiders, and we took Josh Rosen. Um, and Josh Rosen had all the physical attributes you want. I mean, he 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 could throw it. He was he was talented physically. He was a great tennis player coming up. He had great feet. 
um, he had the physical skill set that was necessary to, to succeed at that position. Um, you know, Josh had a lot of other interests in, in life. Um, came from a very affluent family. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure he'll be successful no matter what he does in his life. But, you know, I don't know that football was, was you know, sort of the um, all-everything to him in his life, which, which again, is part of the person versus the player. You know, that that at that position, it takes a certain type of guy. And we just talked about two of them, Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott, mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. maybe didn't jump off the tape from a physical standpoint like that or have the accuracy like that, but had the necessary mindset and passion and heart for the game that sort of put them over the top. So then the next year, and you could tell it doesn't work, and you decide, and you got a second-round pick for him, by the way, and you draft Kyler Murray. And we talk about this all the time because you kind of rewrote it a little bit. Yeah. If you make a mistake, all right, it it sucks, it happened, it wasn't great, didn't work out for whatever reason, we're going to clean up the mistake and we're going to find someone else to play the position and Kyler Murray put up monster numbers for you Howie Roseman who we referenced before sometimes I call the draft the Howie Roseman Invitational Howie's not perfect he took Rager over Jefferson he said "All right, there's a mistake Gotta, it's time you gotta cut the cord yes. right? you gotta do mm-hmm. it we talk about it and sadly for my Bob Stu our producer's big Jets fan Zach Wilson they double down triple down fourth down all I mean they're punting a lot on fourth down Zach Wilson you know they still roll him out there how is an executive because it's different when you're sitting in a studio with a microphone yep how do you know when it's time to say hey this was an expensive mistake this was a big mistake but it's time for us as an organization to move on you know I think it comes down to to one big thing and it's it's um unfortunately you have to look in the mirror and you have to say it's ego versus what your job is, is what's to do the best thing for the organization you can do. What a is great it, response. Is it, is it my ego that, that Steve Kime took this player and he maybe hasn't lived up to expectations? And quite frankly, we're not sure that we believe in this. Um, is that more important to try to shove that down the next two years or three years of a coach's throat and say, make it work? Or is it more responsible for the organization and what you get paid to do to do the best thing for the organization, as painful as it is, as humbling as it is as a human being to make that decision? It's tough. But at the same time, we don't have time to in, in these jobs to, to sit around and, and feel sorry for ourselves. You just got to keep it moving. And that year, again, that was an interesting position to be in because Nick Bosa is one of my favorite players I've ever scouted. Yeah. And I'm sitting there with Nick Bosa and Kyler Murray. And, you know, a million people right now could say, you take the best player, you take Nick Bosa. My th- Again, drafting at that point in time. I had to look at that draft as, how can Steve Keim and the Arizona Cardinals catapult this organization into a better position quicker with which player? And to me, it was Kyler Murray. And I still would, would argue, as much as I would tell you, yeah, is Nick Bosa the, the all-pro and the, and one of the best edge rushers in the NFL? Of course he is. Um, I don't know that within a year or year and a half, Ky- Kyler Murray versus Nick Bosa, I don't know that Nick Bosa would have won 11 games for us. 
you know, we won 11 games and, 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 and failed down the stretch. But at one point in time, we were 8-0. Absolutely. We were the best team in football at one point. Absolutely. And Kyler Murray was up for the MVP discussion. And unfortunately, again, you know, it's ands and buts. But at the same time, I don't know that Nick Bosa himself would have propelled our team to that point. And it is interesting now, you know, years later, it could be in Arizona. You know, we'll see what happens with Carolina and Chicago. You know, Kyler Murray, Caleb Williams. Have you had a chance to watch in general Caleb Williams? I yeah. I think he's going to be a tremendous NFL quarterback. What's what's your take on Caleb? Yeah, I mean, he, is, uh, he has got everything. You know, he's got everything you look for in terms of size, movement, uh, mobility, arm strength. Uh, I obviously have some inside information in talking to Cliff Kingsbury, who coached him this year. And Cliff, Cliff, you know, not to, to speak for Cliff, but, I mean, he's obviously told me the guy is extremely special. Mm. And he's had some special quarterbacks. You know, obviously with Patrick Mahomes and Kyler and a number of the guys that he coached throughout his college uh, career. But he, he is, you know, he is all in on Caleb Williams. And um, everything I've seen would, would, would certainly point in that direction. As and well. I want to be careful here because I love Patrick and I think he's special. I see similarities between Caleb Williams and Patrick Mahomes. Yes. Is that valid? Yes, yeah. And and Cliff, Cliff seems to think, think the same thing. You know, I, I, I think... Maybe even Caleb is a little more refined at that point in time, you know, whereas Patrick was a little more of a gunslinger, maybe took some more chances, had to because of the talent around him, I'm sure, um, which is something you have to look into. But Caleb is, is certainly a guy that um, ha has everything you look for. To me, is going to be a tremendous franchise quarterback. And, um, you know, there's, there's a number of guys in this draft that have intrigued me. You know, Penix of Washington yes. has been fun to watch. Drake May of Carolina, I yes. know, has got, has got a lot of talent. Um, you know, although my he, they could not beat my Wolfpack. No. But, uh, <laughs> Steve had to get that in there. Yeah, I had to get that in there. But, uh, no, there's a number of quarterbacks that I've seen on, you know, McCarthy of Michigan. Yep. He's a, he's a player that maybe probably doesn't get enough credit that, uh, you know, people probably say he's a system guy. You know, you get down to these some of these players that they call system guys because they don't have the freakish uh, physical tools. Yet at the same time, all they do is win football games. How about the art of hiring a head coach? Because you never had a pattern. You always, if you think about your hires, there, there's very little, which I think is a compliment, continuity, because you always, you looked and, and it was wide open. You hired college guys, NFL guys, experienced guys, assistant coaches, offensive coaches, defensive coaches. Do you think there's enough executives in the NFL who understand that you got to, you got to have that wide net. I mean, my guy D'Amico Ryan's is doing an unbelievable job. Kevin O'Connell on the offensive side now a couple of years in in Minnesota. What would you advise general managers in terms of the approach, and how would you characterize your approach when it comes to a coaching search? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Adam, because um, philosophically, I, I I now tend to lean towards you know having a having a quarterback that's at least I should say from. Uh, having a successful organization, having a quarterback um, in place that's either a young guy or established veteran that's a solid player that you can sort of um, tag as a franchise quarterback and say, this is our guy, and tie him up with an offensive coordinator type of head coach because of the system, um, the sustainable success. Whereas 
if you're a defensive coach and you have a great offensive coordinator and you have success with that quarterback, it's going to be sort of a musical chairs. You're going to have that guy's going to end up getting hired as a head coach with somebody. Great point. Um, Bruce Arians was a home run, and 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 and, and for a number of reasons. Number one, uh, he had a tremendous football mind offensively. He knew how to use Carson Palmer when I traded for him. Uh, at the same time, he was a leader of men. And that, that, that's two of the bigger things. D'Amico Ryans, regardless of what his football acumen is, is a leader of men. Mm-hmm. And you can't take that away from him. To me, it starts with being a leader of men and then what fits your organization. Sometimes it doesn't matter if it's a defensive head coach, as long as he can put the right coaches in a position to succeed. Yet at the same time, they have to be leaders of men. At the, at the NFL level, even though they're grown men, they still have to be leaders enough and hard enough to hold players accountable. You know, times have changed. People are much different in nowadays world. Uh, but at the same time, these guys still want to be coached hard. They still want to be held accountable. But it takes a certain talent and a certain um, gift that these coaches have, the good ones, that can get the most out of players. Steve, you nailed it. It's great seeing you. You look great. I'm glad you're doing so well. Before I let you go, what's next? I mean, an NFL team, especially your resume, all yeah. those years in Arizona, listening to this interview, I want Steve Cobb as my general manager. <laughs> what's next for you professionally? Yeah, I mean, that, that certainly is, um, you know, something that would interest me. Uh, I feel like I have a lot of ga- gas left in the tank and, and have learned a lot from the first go around again humbling experience as much as i love the 10 years and still a huge cardinal fan and and big supporter of the organization um you know just it would be fun also to have another opportunity to see the way another organization does things and to um you know obviously be challenged with that task of turning another team around which i think would be fun um, but at the same time, also doing some media stuff, which I enjoy. Uh, certainly not going to be the next Adam Shine, but uh, <laughs> listen to him. I can maybe be your sidekick. I can see that. <laughs> that that could work. <laughs> Either general manager of NFL team or Adam Shine sidekick. That's it. It's That's... basically the same thing. <laughs> Steve, you're the best. Happy holidays, yep, my friend, you to too. you and the family, and we appreciate the time. Thank you, my friend. Rise and Shine is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more, please give a five-star rating, leave a review, subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. Sirius XM Podcasts. Bring spring color inside this season with Bear Premium Plus paint starting at $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. Or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with durable colors that last all season with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.